Why didn't we listen? This is far worse than anyone could have imagined. The hour of judgment has come. Uh, we're getting ready to start a brand new series uh, called Revelation. I just want to welcome uh, everybody that's being part of this, not only here on the Chandler campus, but also Santan and then our Scottsdale campus. Man, we are just so glad you guys are going to be joining us uh, for what I think is going to be a life-changing uh, study together. Now, uh, here's the deal. The book of Revelation is a crazy, crazy, crazy book, and it is by far probably the hardest book in all of the Bible uh, to interpret. Uh, but what you and I are going to try to do over the next few weeks is to get you and me to a place where we go, you know what, I have an absolutely clear working knowledge of what the book of Revelation says. And I could articulate this. I could sit at a cup of coffee and explain it to a friend. I, 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 could, I could discuss this with a reasonable level of confidence, and we want to do our very, very best to get you there. Here's the deal. The book of Revelation is a book that promises all sorts of hope, but it also is a book full of warning that says, hey, uh, some of this stuff is huge. Some of this stuff is life-altering. And to live your life ignoring uh, this, you do it only to your peril. And then finally, the book of Revelation basically will say to you and I, if you grasp this, if you start understanding what's getting ready to happen next, it will change your life. You can't know this and live the way you did before you had this information. And so you and I have the capacity over the next few weeks to make some serious adjustments in our lives based on the study that you and I are gonna do right now. Now here's the thing you need to hear me say out loud. There's no way that we're gonna cover all the detail of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is 22 chapters long. The reality, we couldn't even get through a chapter a week if I was blazing uh, through it. Uh, it's, just, it's just not possible. Uh, so if you, after we get going on this, say, man, I, I just would like to go a little deeper. I'd like to go a little bit further. Uh, we're making available for you in the bookstore a book uh, that you can get, do some study on your own. Uh, it's called uh, The Book of Revelation for Dummies. <laughs> so uh, you could read it. Uh, you, you could do fine. No, here's what I love about this. Uh, the book, again, I said, the book of Revelation, one of the hardest books to understand, interpret. This is probably the best book I've found anywhere on taking what happens in the book of Revelation and putting it into layman's terms so that you and I can understand it, read it, and go, oh, okay, I get what the beast is now. I, I understand. Okay, I understand it. So here's the deal. It's not in the bookstore today. We're in the process of ordering it, but here's what would be a huge help. If you decide your interest in this book, if you would stop by the bookstore to say, say, look, Put me on the list because we want to be sure we order enough that's equivalent to interest and just say, hey, I want it. And I think they said they could have it by next week. 
Okay, so let them know. If you're interested, say, hey, it's, you know, I, I, want, I want a copy of that book. Uh, it's there. Here's the other thing I want to say out loud. This may be one of the few series that you want to take notes. We're going to blaze through a whole bunch of stuff over the next four weeks. We're going to be throwing passages at you like crazy. And somewhere you're going to go, what, what, where was that verse? And what was that moment? And what was that point that Lynn made? And I just think this is probably one of the uh, message series that you're going to say, man, I wish I had taken notes and stuck those in the back of my Bible. So if you're here on the Chandler campus, uh, in the seat back that's right in front of you, there's actually some small uh, note paper there that you can take out. At, at each of our other campuses, there should be paper right in proximity to your chair. My encouragement is take notes, take notes, take notes. You're going to want this information somewhere uh, in your future. All right, so let's, uh, let's just dive in. Uh, get started. Let's see how uh, far we get today. So the, the number one question would simply be this. Hey, uh, since Revelation is a book primarily about prophecy, what is the next thing? I mean, as we kind of sit and anticipate and look for some of this prophetic stuff to unfold, what is it that we ought to be paying attention to? What is it we ought to be looking for? What is that next big event? And the answer is, it's the rapture. Uh, the rapture is a term that we use for, for the catching away, the catching up of Christians or the church, that we are literally in an instant taken out of this world so that God can then bring the judgment, and in many ways, guys, the spanking uh, that's going to happen for seven years called the tribulation. So let's map that out just a little bit. All right. There we go. Okay. So, if you go back to the Old Testament, uh, it doesn't take you very long to realize that God is primarily focused on Israel. That Israel is his primary agent through which he works through uh, the world. This changes at the cross. Matter of fact, here's something that's very interesting in prophecy. If you go back to the book of Daniel... Daniel actually prophesies to Israel and says to them, from the time that they go into the Babylonian captivity, he says to them, there's going to be 69 weeks of years from the day you go to captivity until the Messiah comes. And if you go mark a calendar, this is, I mean, man, this ought to just excite you because this affirms to you and me that prophecy is like reading the newspaper only accurate. Okay? That literally Daniel said, when you go into the Babylonian captivity, there's going to be 69 weeks a year from here until Messiah comes. Guess how many weeks of years there was from the time that the Israelites went into captivity until Messiah comes? Exactly 69 weeks of years. Now, here's the interesting thing that Daniel also said, is that sometime later, there's going to be a 70th week of years. Okay? So, Israel, until the cross... After the cross, there's this amazing thing called the church, which now becomes God's primary agent. The primary thing in which he works through to influence the world is this thing called the church. The focus goes off of Israel during this period of time, and the church becomes the primary working agent of God in this world. This church age comes to an end, and suddenly we get to Daniel's 70th week, we call it the tribulation. It's seven years. It's a week of years in which 
uh, God begins to allow the world to literally just kind of cave in on itself, fall apart. Uh, maybe a better way of thinking about this is, is seven years of a spiritual spanking. And what God is doing, he's saying, hey, look, I'm getting ready to wrap this up. Time is running out. Uh, we're going to close this thing down in just a little while. And before I do that, I am going to graciously give Israel one last chance to repent. One last chance to decide that Messiah is true. 70th week of Daniel. The last chance for Israel to turn uh, to God. But in order for this to happen, in order for Israel to be the focus again, this has to be gone. The church has to be taken out. It is this event that we call the rapture. And when Scripture describes it, it's really interesting. It talks about Jesus coming down and meeting us in the clouds. In other words, this isn't the second coming. This isn't Jesus coming to the earth. This is Jesus coming only down as far as the clouds. And then the Bible says in an instant, in a moment, every Christian who's living on the earth, when this moment happens, is instantaneously caught up and taken into heaven for this period of time. Okay? We call that moment the rapture. So here's what let's do. Let's grab our Bibles real quick. We're going to take a look at some passages that describe uh, this moment for us and help us understand it. We're going to spend a few minutes looking at some passages that are not in the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation is primarily concerned with the tribulation. We're talking about the event that sets it up. Okay? So uh, grab your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. If you're not real familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this book of 1 Thessalonians. And by the way, if, if sometimes just in your devotions, 1 Thessalonians is full of passages that talk about end time events. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 13, here's uh, what this passage says, describing this moment of the rapture. It says, uh, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, here's what that phraseology means. At this point in time, there's huge confusion and lots of fear about what does it mean after you die. And the Bible comes back to describe, say, look, 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 if you're a Christian, you don't even need to worry about this. This should not even be a concern in your heart because for a Christian, dying should be no more terrifying than falling asleep. It's like you're here in your human body, you close your eyes, and then you wake up in heaven. And so scripture here to alleviate the concern of their heart says, look, look, for all of those who've fallen asleep in Jesus, it's just saying, look, those who have passed from here to there, I mean, that was such an easy thing for those who know Christ. One moment you're here, when the next moment you're in the presence of God. So here we go, uh, verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still here, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep, those who've died in Christ. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up, raptured, 
uh, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Man, when you get that, this is cool. This is cool when you understand this. When you get that you and I don't have to do that, uh, this is cool. It's a good moment, he says. All right, so grab your Bibles, go to one more passage that describes uh, the rapture. It's 1 Corinthians, which means it's going to be further to the left in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15. Uh, starting in verse 51. Now, here, let me just say this. This is the last passage that I'm, I'm going to push you really, really hard to look up with me today. I, I wanted you to see these. Uh, we're going to go through about five, six more scriptures because there's just a lot to unpack today. If you want to go with me, go with me. If you don't, man, write it down on your notes and keep it. There, when we get to the end, there's one more passage I want you to have your Bibles open for because it's a big deal, okay? But if you want to just let me go there and follow along, you can do that. Or if you want to see it for yourself, that, that's fine. But I'm, you're not going to, you're not going to be, I'm not going to require you to go to all the rest of it. Here we go. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 51. Here's what it says. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, uh, but we will be all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So you get the one. He says, look, there's going to be a moment, and when Jesus comes back, in the rapture, in that moment, the dead in Christ are going to get called out of their graves, a physical body. Get this. The moment you and I die, Scripture is so clear to say to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. But that's our spirits. Our physical bodies do go to the grave. But here's the cool thing, is that God promised that you and I would one day be reunited with our bodies. Some of you are going, oh, I was hoping it got better after this. And the answer is, no, 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 it does. Because you and I, are gonna, our bodies are going to be made over perfectly, which means we're probably all going to be about 25. Uh, we'll be well past the age of having zits. I mean, it's going to be really cool. I, I'm going to be 195 pounds again. It's going to be a good day, okay? And, and you and I are going to be given perfect bodies in the same way that Jesus had a perfect body after the resurrection. Okay? But there's something about humanness that includes this body thing. And so you and I, our spirits, are going to be reunited but with a perfect body. Okay? Pretty cool. Which means basically I'm going to outrun you. All right. So uh, he says we're all going to be changed, verse 53, for the perishable, this worn out body thing that some of us are in, uh, must clothe itself in imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. So get this moment, okay? Uh, the next big thing, the thing that you and I are to be watching for is called the rapture. It's this moment in which all believing Christians are instantaneously caught out of this world. Christians who have already died and gone to heaven, their bodies come out of the grave. We don't know what that's like, guys. Does that mean that, you know, their bodies just kind of through the dirt, you know, and it's left there? Or does God do kind of what he did with the tomb and he opens up the grave so that people can come and go, ah, Fred's gone. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
But I do know their body's going to be taken. They're going to be reunited with their body, okay? And their bodies are going to be perfect. Now, think about this, guys. Let this thing sink in for a second. This is going to be a weird historic moment. Th think about if, if you're a Christian and you're standing there having a conversation with your coworker who doesn't know Jesus. And you're going, yeah, you know, last week, you know, my wife was kind of complaining and she said, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> and, and you, you ready? Your lucky jeans drop to the floor. I mean, because you don't need clothes, right? In heaven. So all of a sudden, you know, little pile of clothes, and you're gone. That's going to be a weird moment. And the cool part is about halfway getting to Jesus, all of a sudden you get that new body, you meet Jesus in perfection. It's just a really cool moment. But put the shoe on the other foot. Put the shoe on the foot of somebody who's here and experiences the rapture who doesn't know Jesus. This is going to be a freaking out moment. Because now you're talking to your friend who's a Christian, your coworker, and mid-sentence they vanish. And there's just a little plump of clothes on the ground. It's going to look like War of the Worlds or something. Uh, think about this. Uh, you're driving in traffic, and the Christian in front of you vanishes. And now their car. What if your pilot's a Christian? I mean, just think about this for a minute. Your pilot's a Christian. This is, this is an interesting moment. And then uh, add to this every single child who's here who has not reached what we call the age of accountability. In other words, that child has not grown old enough or conscious enough to be able to make a decision for Jesus for themselves. Those children are going to go. I mean, stop and think about just the sadness and the heartache that's going to come out of it, just the confusion that's going to come out of that moment. And, and you would say, well, Lynn, hey, wait a minute. If I was here and I didn't know Jesus, but I'd heard my, Christ, my Christian friends talking about the rapture, and then it happened, I mean, I would like get down on my knees and become a Christian that day. I mean, I'd be like, oh my goodness. Uh, everything those crazy, whacked out Christians said is true. I think it's going to be more confusing than that. Here's why. There are going to be people taken in the rapture that your unsaved friends are going to look and say, there's no way he's a Christian. Uh, you realize that guy was in jail for murder, and yet he, how can he go? You know that neighbor of mine? I mean, he was a jerk. How could he be a Christian? Because he never told, right? And vice versa. Uh, there's going to be priests. There's going to be pastors. There's going to be really good people who have never made a personal decision for Jesus Christ, and they're going to be left because they aren't actually Christians. And you're going to have people go, well, wait a minute. I mean, if he's not a Christian, I mean, he's probably the best person. I know. He, he prays. He's a pastor. Yeah, but he never made a personal decision for Christ. He is not a Christian. Because you realize being a Christian is not being religious. It's a decision. And so there's going to be this confusion. And then add to that, I think you're going to have people say, hey, wait a minute. If there's a loving God, why would he steal our children? Well, the answer is because he loves your children too much to have them go through that. But it's not going to feel that way. And so I think people go, oh, no, there's no way a loving God would And here's, so stop and think about the moment. If you're a person who doesn't believe in Christ, and this is hard for you to figure out, how else would you interpret the moment of the rapture? In light of Star Wars. In light of Star Trek. 
See, here, here's my best, and guys, this is, this is human guess. I'm saying this out loud. This is, this is not in the Bible, okay? This is my guess. I, my guess, I think the world's going to interpret that moment as invasion. I think they're going to say something that we can't see that apparently is technologically way advanced from us has just done something to us, and we better get ready for the next time. I think it's going to be a moment of absolute fear, absolute panic, and I think it helps explain why the world immediately goes into a one-world government, why they're willing to swallow a one-world economy, because I think they will be scared out of their minds when the rapture happens. Okay. All right. Here's what you need to know. Not everyone agrees with what I just told you. Uh, There are good, good Christians who do not believe that the rapture happens at the beginning of the tribulation. Uh, they believe that the rapture happens after the tribulation. Uh, we would call them post-tribbers. And what they believe is, is that the, the church is actually here during the tribulation period, that at the end of the tribulation, Jesus calls Christians to himself, and then we do a U-turn and come back with him in the second coming. Okay? Uh, here's what I'm going to say to you. Pray they're wrong, pray they're wrong, pray they're wrong. Because if that were the case, and if Antichrist were to show up tomorrow, then that would mean that you and I are going to go through what we're going to study the next few weeks, which is nothing short of just absolute chaos in this world. Um, So it's okay if you're here today, and if you're a post-trib Christian, it's all right for you to believe that way. You're wrong, but that's okay. It's okay. Uh, But even if you are, you want to pray that I'm right, okay? Okay. Let me, let me give you a couple of verses that I think solve this issue a little bit for us. You ready? That are, I think are really, really crystal clear to say, hey, no, the, tri- the rapture happens before the tribulation. So again, you don't have to turn to these passages unless you just want to. Uh, I'll read them for you. Uh, the first one is 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Here's what it says. Let me read this. It says, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, ready, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Not after the wrath, not out of the wrath. He rescues you and me from the wrath to come. And then one more passage real quick that I I just think is so clear and undeniable. It's Revelation chapter 3. It's verse 10. Here's what it says. Since you have kept my command... And have endured patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. And guys, I I I just don't even know how much clearer you can get than those two passages in which Jesus basically says, I will keep you from that. Okay? Um, Let let me give you something else to to put in your pipe and smoke. Um, I think there's uh, some other places uh, that give you and I some clarity to this. Uh, One of them is the book of Revelation itself. So if you start reading the book of Revelation in chapter 1, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 are actually introduction chapters. We haven't gotten to the tribulation yet. It's just talking to seven churches saying, hey, be sure to read this book. It's an important, important, important book. So when you get to the book of Revelation and you start reading those first three introduction chapters, the church is all over those first three chapters. Matter of fact, if you go to Revelation chapter 1 verse 4, it says, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. 
If you go down to chapter 1, verse 11, it says, uh, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, and it goes on a list. If you get to the end of chapter 1, uh, down in verse 20, it says, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Chapter 2, verse 1, the angel of the church in Ephesus. Uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 7, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Chapter 2, verse 8, the angel of the church of Smyrna. And matter of fact, if you continue to read the introduction to the book of Revelation, those first three chapters, the church is mentioned, you ready? 19 times, 19 times. I say this to you just so that you know, John, who wrote, uh, authored the book of Revelation, isn't forgetting about the church. 19 times in the first three chapters in the introduction, he mentions the church. When you get to chapter 4, as John finally gets to describing this, an interesting thing happens. Let me read to you uh, chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I, John, looked, and before me was a door standing open in heaven, and a voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet. Sound familiar? Both passages we read about the rapture described that moment as sounding like a trumpet. So there was a voice that sounded to me like a trumpet, and that trumpet said, you ready? Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, and with someone sitting on it. I'm going to suggest to you that the picture you and I get in Revelation chapter 4, just before the conversation about the tribulation, is a picture of John being raptured. Here's what I find intriguing. You ready for this? Throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, all the rest of the chapters, how many times do you think the church is mentioned during the tribulation period? Any guesses? Come on, Chandler, because Scottsdale knows this answer. Zero. Zero. How interesting is that, that the book of Revelation, which is primarily concerned with describing the time of the tribulation to us, never once mentions the church in the tribulation. And guys, I, 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 I'm just going to tell you, I, I think it's pretty obvious. Now, here's the deal. I've actually got more reasons that I think you ought to think about if you're struggling with this or, at all or not. We, at the table, we've got some tables in the back, and I actually wrote just a little uh, paper together, uh, six reasons why you ought to believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. And you can grab that on your way out if you want to. You can take it to your friends and say, ha ha, how are we going to do you can, you can do that, and it's there. All right. Here's the million-dollar question. Or if you're playing Powerball, it's the $1.3 billion question. Okay, so here's, here's, here, here's the thing that, that ought to be on all of our minds. How close? How close? I mean, how, how concerned should we be? How, how eminent is this thing potentially uh, that Jesus would come in the rapture and, and call all of us as Christians out? And here's the answer. I don't know. I don't know. We're not supposed to know. Matter of fact, uh, Jesus said as much, okay? It's Matthew chapter 24, and again, you don't have to go there unless you, you want to. Uh, it's Matthew chapter 24, and there was a moment in which Jesus' disciples, while he was here on earth, he'd been talking to him about end times, and they said to him, well, hey, Jesus, I mean, when's this going to happen? I mean, this is kind of weird, freaky information. When is, when is this going to take place? And this is Jesus' response to the disciples who said, you know, when? Here's what Jesus said, 
Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus said, but about the day or the hour, no one knows. No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Which, guys, I just want to say this. If, if you start reading somebody's book or you start watching someone on the internet and they go, hey, you know what? Uh, I have figured out when Jesus is coming back and, and they decide to put a date on it. Run away, run away, run away. Because here's what you're looking at. Think of the level of arrogance for a person to say, no, 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 no. This is something that no one's supposed to know, but I outsmarted God and I figured it out. And think how low an esteem they have for Scripture that they would say, you know, the one mistake in the Bible is when Jesus said no one had figured this out, because I did. Matter of fact, here's what I'm going to tell you. If somebody tells you that Jesus is coming back on March 17, 2018, go to your calendar, Mark, March 17, 2018, and go, that's the one day Jesus ain't coming back. Because Jesus is no way going to make that idiot look right. Uh, unfortunately, Jesus is probably in heaven going, crumb. He spoiled that for me. That was a good day. Now I can't use it. Okay? But I'm just telling you, no one knows. But here's what I will say to you. I believe that you and I have every reason to believe in proximity. I think you and I have every reason to believe that this thing could be eminent. And I'm not trying to put a date. I'm just telling you, here's what you and I are closer than anyone has been before. <laughs> think about it. You and I are closer than anyone's ever been before, okay? But I, 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 think, I think that there's a reason for you and I to have a sense of urgency and expectation to this, okay? Let, let, me, let me tell you just, just why. In the, book, in the book of Revelation, and again, you guys don't have to go there, but in the book of Revelation, when it's describing uh, the tribulation, it's Revelation chapter 11, if you just happen to want to go there, uh, it describes two prophets coming to earth during the first section of the tribulation. We don't know who these guys are. Some guys have guessed, hey, maybe, maybe it's Elijah and maybe it's Enoch. And the reason some Bible scholars have suggested that it could be those two people is because neither of those two men died. And so they said, well, maybe God brings them back to earth because these two prophets end up dying. Others have said, hey, maybe it's Elijah and maybe it's Moses. We don't know. We don't know. It could be Fred and Sam for all we know. But there's two prophets during the tribulation. But these guys are what I call John the Baptist hellfire brimstone type prophet. I mean, these guys are basically turn or burn. And they're preaching during the first half of the tribulation period just saying, guys, get right with God, get right with God, because you think it's bad now, wait till you see the second half of this thing. And matter of fact, people get very angry at them. They don't like this uh, preaching that they're doing. And the Bible says that they're literally given the power that out of their mouths comes fire that can consume people. I don't know what that looks like, guys. I'm just telling you, it says that people can be struck dead who try to stand up against these guys. It says also about them that they're given uh, the power uh, to make it not rain. Uh, they're given the authority to call down many of the plagues that are described. Remember when the children of Israel are leaving Egypt, so all the plagues and things that happen. It says they're given that authority, and they're going to use that during that period of time to try to get people to break in their spirits and repent of their sins. But the problem is you'll have a group who gets it and accepts the message and accepts Jesus, and you have a group that goes, I know I want nothing to do with that, and they hate the prophets. 
The interesting thing is, is that the Bible says that after they've finished their messages, Antichrist is given power to kill them. So here we go. It's Revelation. Uh, Revelation uh, chapter 11. Here's what it says, starting in verse 7. Now when they, talking about these two prophets, have finished their testimony, and the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them, their bodies will be uh, in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified, so we know this is Jerusalem, for three and a half days, uh, some from every people and tribe and language will gaze on their dead bodies and refuse to bury them. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts. So it's going to be Christmas when these, I mean, these guys are going to go, hey, this is so cool. Man, let's just give each other gifts that we finally got rid of those guys. And because these two prophets have to, that tormented them uh, who live on the earth. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies looked on. And at that very hour, uh, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and their survivors were terrified and gave glory to God in heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming. And here's what I think is interesting about that particular description. Did you catch the moment in which it says, people from every tribe and every nation will gaze upon these guys dead? Do you realize that you go back 70 years, that's impossible? I mean, we've only had the television for the last 70 years. Do you realize how relevant that passage is, but even let's get a little more specific, the idea that you could look at them in real time as they lay there dead and celebrate their death, you realize that's only happened in our generation with the invention of satellites and the ability to send that telecast or the internet and everybody watching it on YouTube, how relevant is that to this generation? And I'm just, I'm just saying, guys, I'm, I'm not... I'm just saying that what the scripture described there wasn't even possible until our lifetimes. Which just should say to all of us, there is some sense of proximity. Uh, there's one more real, real quick. Uh, again, if you're following me, it's Revelation chapter 13. It should be over a page or two. This is the moment in which Antichrist actually uh, imposes a one-world economy and says, look, you can't buy unless you have the mark of the beast on you. And, and if you don't, then you're not going to be able to make any sort of purchases, okay? So it's Revelation chapter 13, starts in verse 16, and it says, It also forced all people, and it is the beast, or the Antichrist, uh, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name, which calls for wisdom, let every person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for the, it is the number of man. That number is six, six, six. Now, here's the thing I think is interesting. I don't know. I, I don't, is, this, is this a barcode that they you know, literally like print on people? I, I don't know. But stop and think about the idea that one man could literally control the world economy by controlling the information. And, and you realize uh, that we're at a time right now 
that this is becoming absolute. We're so worried about identity theft and all that. Do you realize there's conversation about putting chips in our hands? Could that be what the pa- I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just saying consider the technology. And when John here is trying to describe, hey, wait a minute, you know, there was something going on you know, with the foreheads and stuff, stop, stop and think about uh, retinal scan. I mean, you know, is it possible that he's describing someone leaning in and so whoop, whoop, retinal scan? I don't know. I'm just saying how incredible is it that you and I live in a generation where for the first time ever in the history of the world the technology exists to do that. And I'm just saying, you and I are the closest generation to the return of Christ of any generation that's ever lived. And I don't, I don't know, is it six days? Is it 60 days? Is it 60 years? I don't know. Is it 600 years? I don't know. But you and I are closer than any generation that's ever walked. And the Bible says that when this sinks in, when you and I begin to understand this, that you and I ought to start calculating our lives differently. So here it is. Remember I told you there was one last passage I wanted you to go with me to. And this is the one. It's 1 John. And guys, you just need to know this isn't the Gospel of John. This is another book of John, which is just in front of the book of Revelation. So it's right toward the very back of your Bible. It's 1 John uh, chapter 3. It's 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 2. Here's what it says. You ready? Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. Remember, glorified bodies, just like he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. You get what it's saying? Saying, look, 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 look. You, you, can't, you can't know this and not take action. It may, may be better, you can't believe this. You can't believe that there's the potential that Jesus could come back at any moment and not change how you live. If you really believed. Matter of fact, if you believe that, then I'm just going to tell you that it brings a sense of urgency to your life because you're in that moment going to go, wait, whoa, whoa, Jesus couldn't come back. I may not have 80 years. I may only have six more months. I I need to be sure I live whatever time well. Uh, It's going to bring a sense of clarity because all of a sudden you go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. If Jesus could come back at any moment, I don't think I want to waste my time on that. I don't think I want to waste my money on that. If Jesus could come back at any moment. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. But what if? What if for some reason I was able to come in front of you today and say, you know what, I was studying and, and uh, I figured it out, Jesus is coming back in 60 days. 60 days and, I, and I'm telling you, I got it, 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 60 days. If that were true, would you change? I mean, if you knew in your heart what no one else knows, but if you knew for a fact that Jesus is coming back in 60 days, would you still sign up for overtime? Or would you go, man, you know what, I've got 60 days left, I better spend some time with my family. If you knew that Jesus was coming back in 60 days, what would your prayer life look like next 60 days? If you knew that Jesus was coming back in 60 days, how much would you serve at church? 
Man, some of you be like, I got to get there every week. I'm way behind. If Jesus has come back in 68, that pet sin that you have in your life, that, that, that one that you've been hanging on to and you know dishonors him and you know frustrates him, if you knew that Jesus was coming back in 60 days and you were going to have to stand in his presence, would you even commit that sin the next 60 days? And you get what Scripture's saying. That when you figure this out and when you start to believe this, well, you'll live different. You'll change. It'll bring all sorts of clarity to your decisions. If you're a Christian who understands the eminence of Jesus' return. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we we come before you. And God, we just want to say it out loud. Scripture is so clear. You could come back. The rapture could happen any time. You told us this. And God, I'm, we're just going to be honest and tell you, we've, we've lived with a casualness. We, we've lived as if your return was never going to happen and that every one of us was somehow guaranteed a long life. And, and yet, God, Scripture says so clearly that wise Christians, wise Christians know that the rapture could happen at any time, that your return could be just moments away And when they figure this out, they live differently. God, I'm just going to ask, would you allow each of us to start running our lives through that filter, to do some really good self-examination and say, boy, if I knew, if I knew that Jesus was coming back in 60 days, would I still be dating that guy? If I knew that Jesus was coming back in 60 days, how much harder would I work to tell my neighbor about my Jesus? And then God, allow us to live our lives as if we actually believed you were coming again. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen.